Let me just say that I've learned a lot about whatever this week. (laughs) This all started back last year when one of my memory verses had the word whatever in it. And I just remember just sitting with my journal, pondering that word. um, Thinking about everything that that word could possibly mean. And I just did a word search in my Bible and just found verse after verse after verse with the word whatever in it and how it meant something different in every different context. And I thought to myself, someday I'm going to do a sermon series called Whatever. And that someday finally happened for the month of October 2022. And um, I mentioned it last week. Uh, There's Colleen back in the back row. And um, she started doing all these these hand signs for W, whatever, that I'm too old to know about, whatever. And then I believe there was whatever. Was that one of them? Whatever? Yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> and then I was telling one of the young baristas at Starbucks this week, I was working on my sermon, and they often ask, what are you working on? I told him, whatever. And he added to it. He said, oh, it's, it's W-E-M-L, which stands for whatever major loser. And I just realized I was too old for this. So um, <laughs> it's a, it's, it can be a rather um, dismissive, dismissive word. Um, I still remember the first time in the early 2000s, I was greeting people as they left the church that Sunday morning and this little 10-year-old girl came up and I told her, good to see you, and I still remember her looking at me and going, whatever. I was like, now I know your parents, and I know they would not have this, but um, I was just kind of amazed. Um, it, it is, it's a very, it can be a very dismissive word. It can also be a very apathetic word, like shoulder shrug, whatever, right? But I think we see in scripture that it's a word of incredible possibility, a, 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 a word that you can say with wonder, with your eyes wide open, like, whatever, really? Um, and I know that even we had a Stephen Curtis Chapman song playing called Whatever. I just, I was, last night I was thinking, is this common? So I got on Spotify and I searched and I found 10 different songs with the simple title, Whatever. It's not very original, is it? Except that one of them had two R's and several of them had exclamation points. Um, Lots of albums called Whatever. Countless songs that started with Whatever, Whatever You Like, Whatever It Takes, Whatever It Is, Whatever Works. My favorite, Whatever Happened to Good TV. And the Doris Day classic, Whatever Will Be, Will Be, Kesarasra. Congratulations, y'all. Yeah, yeah. So... um, But there's no way to know what's going on with the word without context, without tone of voice. And this morning, we have a verse that says, God does whatever. Now, if that was the whole sentence, God does whatever, he's just kind of, he's he's willy-nilly, just whatever. Or he's God who is not to be questioned, But if there's more to this sentence, God does whatever, blank, blank. 
doesn't what comes next in the sentence change everything? Right, all sorts of possibility. And I think the verse ends in the most amazing way possible because we have an amazing God who will not give the glory to another. And that's kind of the theme of Psalm 115. It starts with the call to the glory of the Lord, giving glory to the Lord. Uh, it actually ends with the word hallelujah, praise the Lord. That's the book ends. And in the middle, you have this God who does whatever he pleases to do. Wow. And then we have an entire psalm that kind of unfolds some of what the whatever is. So let's, let's go that way. It starts with, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. That's our human tendency is to seek glory for ourselves. It was the human tendency in the days of the psalmist for the people to want glory for themselves. He is actually asking God, do not let any of your glory be directed to us. Wow, that's quite the prayer, isn't it? Not to us, Lord. Not, don't let us get any glory. And you kind of want to go, well, okay, just a little. Can we have just like 0.01% of the glory just for a day? And he's like, no, not to us, Lord. Not to us, says it twice, but to your name be the glory. Because he knew his, their own unworthiness. He knew the harm that would come of them. As we sang, <laughs> uh, you, you, you will be humbled, right? And our most vain imaginations have us at the center of them, but in our best moments of looking up, we say, no, 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 to your name be the glory. Why? He says, because of your love and your faithfulness. We do not love like God loves. He loves perfectly. We are not faithful like God is faithful. No one loves as fervently and consistently as God does. No one maintains so consistently and keeps their promises and is faithful as our God. When Moses asked to see how these go hand in hand, when Moses asked to see the glory of God and God put him in the cleft of the rock, it says, he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This is the heart of the glory of God, is his love and his faithfulness. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. So often these two things paired together. But he puts this in the next few verses in relation to other gods, small g gods. It starts with a question, verse 2. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. So the nations around Israel would have had their gods. The nation to the east would have had a god, to the north, to the west, to the south. They would have all had their own gods. Their gods were regional, if you will. Their gods had territories. Their gods had their people there. And in most cases, as a matter of fact, probably every case, that God, small g, had a man-made representative, if you will, an idol, so that he could be more manageable, if you will. And a couple of, if you think about the nation's saying to Israel, where is your God? You can see what a dismissive 
mocking question that would be. My tears, Psalm 42, 3, my tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where is your God? In other words, in a time of trouble, in a time of illness, in a time of deep depression when things are dark, someone might say, oh really, where's your God while you're going through this? Where is he in the sense that he doesn't seem to be helping or as in Acts 17, when Paul is walking around Athens and there's a God on every corner. I see you're very religious people. Where's your God? We don't, we don't see him. Well, our God doesn't live in a temple built by human hands. Our God, it says here, our God is in heaven. Our God is on a different plane, in a different realm. He's in heaven. The heavens, the highest heavens cannot contain you, Solomon said. Now, if you're wondering what he's doing, it says he does whatever pleases him. Or maybe your Bible translation. He does all that he pleases. He does as he wishes. He does whatever he wants to do. That's astounding. That is astounding. So you watch the news and you see a professional football player going into a local elementary school or middle school, and he's giving a talk. He's a defensive lineman. He's six foot five, 290 pounds of muscle. And he stands in front of these kids, and he says, hey, listen, if you set your mind to it, and you work hard, you can be whatever you want to be, because that's what I did. And all the girls are going, I don't really want to be a 6'5", 280 defensive lineman. <laughs> the little guy in the back who looked like me, 110 pounds soaking wet, is going, that sounds, no, I don't want to do that. I'll never be that, right? <laughs> there are external things that keep that from being true for you and me. We can't say I do whatever I want. There are circumstances, there are skill sets, there are strengths that none of us has all of them. And the truth is, we have internal issues. There are, there are things that we simply don't desire. If you say, I do whatever I desire, there's a lot of things I don't desire. And to be quite honest with you, most... Romans 7 tells us there's a lot of times when we, right, there's this thing I want to do and I don't do it. And there's this thing I don't want to do and I do that. Sometimes our desires are just all out of whack. There's so much in the way for us to ever, ever, ever even consider one of us saying this. God has no such obstacles to doing whatever he pleases. There's nothing outside of God that's insurmountable. God has never run into a mountain and said, I've finally met my match. This mountain is too big for me. Rats, I was going to do this, but the obstacles were too great. God has never had that problem. There's nothing inside of God that ruins his desires or gets him off track. He's never forced into something. He's never backed into a corner. God is never a victim of circumstances. What must it be like 
to actually do perfect pleasure perfectly. <laughs> God's whatever will always include, verse 1, God's whatever will always include perfect love and faithfulness. But there's no obstacle that can stop him from that, unlike what we read now. So the people who are saying, where is your God? Look what he says. Their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands that can't feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. So God says that the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules all over all. He has all jurisdiction in all the universe, and here we have these pitiful little idols of gold and silver. Look at everything an idol has but can't use. The idol has a mouth, eyes, ears, hands, nose, feet, but he can't see, hear, smell, speak, touch, or feel. There's this kind of comical section in Isaiah and both Isaiah and Jeremiah. I'll give it to you from Jeremiah 10. For the practices of the peoples are worthless. Listen how worthless this is. They cut a tree out of the forest. Got to the forest, cut down a tree. They take it to a craftsman who shapes it with his chisel. They adorn it with silver and gold. And then they fasten it with a hammer and nails so that it will not totter. <laughs> My idol's going to fall over unless I attach it to something with a hammer and nails. Like a, listen to this line, like a scarecrow in a cucumber field, their idols cannot speak and they must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them. They can do no harm, nor can they do any good. They can't do harm. They can't even do good. They can't do anything because if they want to go anywhere, the person who made it has to strap it to his back and carry it. They take their God with them on their back because they made it with their own hands. That's the idol. He can't do whatever he pleases because he doesn't have a pleases or a do. And he says, if you make those, you will be like them. If you trust them, you will become like the idol. Isn't that a frightening, dangerous verse? The idol worshiper will become dumb and deaf and unfeeling. When we worship something other than our creator, we become less human and more like the idol we worship. We are creative beings. We are sub-creators, if you will. But when we worship what we create, when the, the work of our hands takes on a godlike role in our lives, we can become less like our creator and more like what we create. And we finished Revelation recently, and there was this verse in Revelation 9 that was so frightening. All of this stuff happens to, to get the attention of mankind, and it says the rest of the mankind who were not killed by the plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not start worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and woods, idols that cannot see or hear or walk. So their hearts had become so hardened by their idols that no matter what God did, they clung to their idol worship. 
So what can the idols do? Nothing. What can God do? Whatever he pleases. And our lives change depending on which way we look to worship. And he calls out to these different groups of people. Verse 9, 10, and 11. All you Israelites, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. Verse 11. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. Trust three times. Help and shield three times. Idols can't do any of that. Children of Aaron, the priest, trust the Lord. You who fear him, possibly even a technical term for Gentiles who had come to worship the God of the Jews, fear the Lord, trust him. He will be your help and shield. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Our help and our shield, our helper and our shield, our helper, our protector. That's some of the whatever that God does, but there's more whatever. Look at verse 12. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless his people Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. Kind of flipping around verses 9, 10, and 11. May the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Look at the words. The Lord remembers. The Lord will bless. And the two go hand in hand. He remembers his covenant forever, the promise he made for a thousand generations. 1 Chronicles 16, 15. Generations come, generations go. Generations come, generations go. And the Lord never forgets to be faithful. Long after we were gone, long before we got here, God remembers. He just remembers. Anybody have a hard time remembering? Yes, we do. We do. (laughs) God doesn't forget because he can do whatever he pleases. He remembers, he blesses, He causes to flourish, verse 14. Back to verse 15. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So when you say the Lord does whatever he pleases, the maker of the universe, the owner of the universe, expends his strength to bless his people. No idol can do that. The highest heavens belong to the Lord. And then he he wraps this up going back to the glory of the Lord. And we we kind of saw this in Psalm 8, which I started with. But the highest heavens belong to the Lord. Earth he has given to mankind. We saw this back in Genesis where he gave them to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and every living creature that moved on the ground. You're going to be stewards and rulers of my creation. But there are realms we can't even imagine where the Lord is Lord. All the idols of the people have to stay in their little lane. God has no lanes to stay in. And then this final call to worship. It's not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to the place of silence. It is we who extol the Lord, both now and forever know it more. So what is he saying? As long as you've got breath, hallelujah. That's what verse 18, praise the Lord, hallelujah. You show your wonders to the dead, Psalm 88. 
Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave? No, he's saying as long as you're alive, praise the Lord. Let me finish just with a few other verses to wrap this up. Because I was so reminded of John chapter 17 here. Um, The fact that the God who can do whatever he pleases, nothing stronger than him, his desires, his whatever he pleases is perfect, and that he expends that blessing his people, being a help, being a shield, being faithful to his people. I was reminded of the words of Jesus in John chapter 17 when he's praying to the Father. It says, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. He's looking at being arrested in just a matter of, short matter of time. He's crucified. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Father, you've given me all authority. I can do whatever I please. I'm going to expend that authority to give eternal life to those who will trust me. All the authority of heaven and earth is invested in giving eternal life. And eternal life, he says, is knowing God, entering into a relationship with God. Not only will we not ever have all authority, it's been proven a bazillion times throughout history, when we do get authority, we do not use it very well. <laughs> and Jesus says, I've got it all, and I'm going I'm to give eternal life with it. Secondly, um, there's a scene in Acts 14 where... Paul and Barnabas raise someone who's lame and everybody in town comes out to worship him because they think they're gods. And they say, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. But we're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless idols to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. This is a Psalm 115 verse 1. Not to us. No, 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 not to us be the glory. To his name be the glory. We're just people. So now turn from your worthless things. (laughs) That's pretty pointed and in the face, isn't it? While you're at it, don't worship us and don't worship all that stuff either. And when you come to Acts chapter 19, you have this situation where Paul has gone into Ephesus and so many people are turning to Christ that the idol makers start losing business and stop making so much money. And there's a huge riot And the complaint was that this man says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. How dare him? This is affecting our bottom line. It's a very countercultural thing. It could be a costly thing to look the world in the face and say, what you worship is worthless. And lastly, I just want to say this. Um, when we think about our own limits doing whatever we please. There are certain limits that will just always be there because we live in bodies and we're weak and we get ill. (laughs) There's strengths we don't have. 
We are not omnipotent. We're not omnipresent. We're not all-knowing. We're not everywhere at one time. We don't have all strength. And so what do we do? We, we accept the limits and we try to find contentment in the limits placed on living in a body. Because we are not God. And there are some attributes we simply do not get. Sorry. Nobody here is going to be omniscient next week. Nobody's here is going to be all-powerful and all-knowing. None of that. We accept that limit as a gift. But you know what can change? Our desires. That's an incredible work of grace if you think about it, down to the level of the things we want and don't want. When the first temptation came, it says that Eve saw the fruit. It looked pleasing to the eye and she desired it. Suddenly, in the story, there is a desire going the wrong direction. And then when you get to James chapter 1, if anyone's tempted, don't say I'm tempted by God, for God does not tempt anyone, nor is he ever tempted. God's never tempted because his desires have never gone off track. He said that each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires. We sin, I hate to say this, but according to James, we sin because we want to. Ouch! (laughs) But God works at the level of desire. Two, Two quotes here. One is Matthew Henry. The joy of the Lord will arm us against the assaults of our spiritual enemies. Listen to this line. The joy of the Lord will arm us against the assaults of our spiritual enemies and put our mouths out of taste. That's just an old way of saying, he will give us a distaste for the pleasures with which the tempter baits his hooks. The tempter comes along, he dangles the temptation in front of you, and suddenly you don't desire it like you once desired it. And the tempter goes, hmm, I'm going to try something new. He doesn't want this anymore. That's how deeply God can work. And then St. Augustine, love God and do whatever you please. For the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. Love God and do what you want. Woo, that's risky. What is he saying? In the love of God, there are new desires. So when you follow the love of God, you're following the desire of God. So you do what you please. When what you please is the love of God. Do you believe today, if you've been struggling with the same messed up desires for so long, do you believe God can change you at that level? Because he can. God is at work in you to desire and do his good pleasure. God doesn't face this. We do. He knows it. So we seek the joy of the Lord and the love of the Lord because, back to verse 1, his love and his faithfulness endure forever. To him be the praise. To him be our joy and our love. Let me pray for us as we finish this up. Lord, we are amazed at how this word whatever applies to you. Um, We are so limited in every way, it seems, Lord. Um, and you face nothing that's insurmountable. We're, just, we're amazed by you, God, that this, that this whatever applies to you.
Help our worship to reflect this, Lord. Um, for all of my brothers and sisters in this room right now, um, increase our joy. Increase our love. May it grow deeper and wider and stronger. Change our desires. But they will be changed in the light of our worship, Lord. And if I know that our hearts churn out idols, it seems never-ending. We constantly want to make you manageable, worship the works of our hands, even worship the very blessings you've given us and put them in a God place instead of just in a good place. So Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would reveal to us our idols, that you would reveal to us our false gods. And I know that this is the human heart in, throughout all of time and through all, of, all places on the globe, but it seems that in this country we have developed the means to make just more and more gods. And um, I pray that you'd reveal those to us, help us to confess that, help us to see it for what it is. Help us to see, Lord, where the gods of this world have, have caused us to be less human, have blinded us, have made us unable to speak in the name of Jesus. Change our hearts, oh God. We humble ourselves before you. Change our hearts to desire after Jesus in whose name we pray.